Earlier this week, as as I was studying for this uh, sermon, for this passage, I read a homily that was written by a deacon in the Catholic Church by the name of Greg Condra. Uh, This this deacon uh, wrote this homily after this passage. And his homily on these verses began in such a powerful way that I want to share with you the way that he began his homily. As I share it, though, I want us to imagine ourselves in the place where he begins. Some of you may be familiar with St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City. Maybe some of you have even been there. I unfortunately have not, so I'm with those of you that have to use the imagination. But St. Patrick's Cathedral is a beautiful, massive cathedral right on Fifth Avenue in Midtown Manhattan. It sits right across from the Rockefeller Center, which is another place of beauty and art, a place that celebrates the accomplishments of humanity. I want you to imagine that you've spent the morning in St. Patrick's, that you've been there receiving worship, offering worship, receiving prayer, and that you found yourself in a place of relaxation, a place of rest. If you want to, you can even close your eyes for a moment and find that place of rest. Take a deep breath. Feel refreshed. Feel centered in the love of God. As you conclude that worship, as you're leaving that cathedral, hear these words the deacon Condra offered. If you leave St. Patrick's Cathedral by the front door on Fifth Avenue, you can't help but be jolted by the figure greeting you as you leave. It's Atlas, a mammoth four-story high statue of the Greek titan cast in bronze, his arms spread wide as he carries the universe on his back. He was created by artist Lou Laurie in 1937. It's the largest sculpture in the Rockefeller Center, bigger even than Prometheus down by the skating rink. This Atlas statue aroused controversy when it was unveiled, with some people complaining that the face of the statue looked too much like Mussolini. But someone noted to the contrary, it only looks the way Mussolini thinks he looks. Whoever he resembles, the Atlas that we meet as we leave the cathedral makes a powerful statement. As we pass through those massive doors, we leave the house of God and we enter once again the world of gods. The gods of deadlines and headaches in midtown Manhattan and Atlas welcomes us back. Welcome back to the invoices that are overdue and the lines on the elevator. Welcome back to the air conditioner that does not work, the unemployment that's running out, and the accident causing problems on the subway that's going to delay getting home. Welcome back to the things that you want, but you can't afford. Welcome back to Tiffany's and Saks and Harry Winston and Cartier. Welcome back to the world and all the burdens the weight of the world that everyone carries on their back. But in today's gospel, Jesus offers help. It really doesn't take long to be jolted 
out of our rest, does it? It doesn't take long for the noise and the advertisements to jar us out of our contentment. It doesn't take long for responsibilities and obligations to begin to steal our mind and to steal our time. Maybe you have felt like Atlas. Maybe you felt like the burdens that you carry uphold the universe. Maybe you've upheld the universe for somebody else that you felt could not. Maybe for a child that couldn't find work or for a friend that couldn't find their way out of depression. For a parent that continues to struggle with health. Maybe you felt like the character of the other statue that Deacon Condra mentioned. This Prometheus. Prometheus was once celebrated as a champion of humanity. The Greek god that paved the way for human ingenuity. He's called the god of fire because he stole fire from the gods and gave it to humanity. Because of this gift, Prometheus was condemned. He was condemned to be chained to a mountain where day after day an eagle would return and eat his liver as it regenerated. Perhaps you felt like this. Like you've given much and you've received punishment as your reward. Perhaps you felt like you've offered help and you've been cut off. Offered what you thought was grace and received anger and hatred. Prometheus and Atlas were never, ever allowed to rest. But you are not Atlas. And you are not Prometheus. In today's gospel, Jesus is speaking to you. Come to me, Jesus says. All you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. In today's gospel, Jesus invites those that are weary, those that are burdened, to find a place of rest. But what makes us weary? What is it that burdens us? Walter Brueggemann suggests that it's not working too hard that makes us weary, but it's working for the wrong purposes. It's living a life outside of our true created being. It's forgetting that we are the created and not the creator. It's living in such a way that we feel like if we took a step back, if we took a moment to relax, the rest of everything would crumble. Exhaustion, says Brueggemann, comes from the demand that we be other than who we truly are, that we contradict who we are as children of God. And so we, the weary, receive an invitation to rest. This invitation, though, is strange. This invitation to rest that Jesus offers comes with a metaphor that we probably wouldn't normally associate with rest. When I think of rest, I think of a nice, large, comfortable bed with a cool pillow. Or I think of a table with a spread before it so that I don't have to move to have my plate full and my cup full. When I think of rest, I think of having all of the time in the world with which to do nothing. 
But this is not the type of rest that Jesus invites the disciples to. This rest bears a load. This rest requires a yoke. What a strange metaphor to use when talking about rest. It wouldn't be a new metaphor, though, for Jesus or for the people that he spoke to. Throughout the Hebrew scriptures, the metaphor of the yoke was used often. The people were often yoked to the Gentile nations. They were yoked as slaves and yoked as exiles to those that had power over them. But the prophets also used this term to describe the relationship that the people had with the God that liberated them from slavery, the God that brought them home from exile. The prophet Jeremiah describes the yoke of serving God and the yoke of listening to the instruction of Torah. In the few decades just before Jesus began his ministry, the people of Israel began to use this term, this metaphor of a yoke, to describe something new. They started to use this word yoke to describe the teachings, the body of teachings of a rabbi. The yoke was the way that a rabbi understood and interpreted and lived out the scripture. The rabbi's practice of faith was said to be that rabbi's yoke. And in this generation that came just before Jesus, there were two great teachers in Israel. We've mentioned them here before. These teachers helped develop this new metaphor for the yoke of a rabbi. And their discussions and their arguments would guide discussions of faith for decades and centuries and generations afterwards. They even influenced Jesus himself. These two men were called Rabbi Hillel and Shammai. And it is no surprise that they had absolutely different yokes. They had absolutely different understandings of what it meant to live the faithful life. There's an old story that was told to help people understand these yokes of these two rabbis. It was said that there was once a Gentile man, and this Gentile man saw the people of Israel and admired them. He saw that these people were able to live with integrity, that they were able to live even under the Romans and in poverty, but still live lives of faith. And so this man admired the people of Israel. He'd heard about this God This God that had set them free, this God that these people considered themselves yoked to. And so this man decided he wanted to learn a little bit more. This man, though, was very impatient. He had no patience whatsoever. He didn't want to read the text himself. So he decided to go ask these two rabbis to explain to them what it was they believed, what it was that the Torah taught. And so this man first went to Rabbi Shammai. Shammai was known to be a very serious scholar of the Jewish scriptures. He interpreted the scriptures strictly. He was known to have a temper with the students. This Gentile approached Rabbi Shammai and said to him, Rabbi, can you teach me the whole of Torah while I stand on one foot? I don't have time to read. Shammai took the insult for what it was and beat the man with the broom and chased him out. The man was undeterred. He decided to go to Rabbi Hillel, and he approached him the same way. Rabbi Hillel was also known to be a serious scholar of the scriptures, but Hillel was known to have a softer touch. Hillel was known to interpret the scriptures a little bit more openly and generously. 
and that he would teach these scriptures to anybody that wanted to learn, whether they were big or small, they were wise or unwise, whether they were infants or the marginalized. And so the man came to Rabbi Hillel, and he stood on one foot once again, and he said, Rabbi, can you teach me the whole of Torah while I stand on one foot? Rabbi Hillel responded, that which is hateful to you, do not do to another. That is the whole of Torah, and the rest is interpretation. Go and study. You probably hear a similarity in Rabbi Hillel's response to Jesus' golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus' yoke was actually very similar to what we know of Rabbi Hillel. It was said that Rabbi Shammai's yoke was tended to bind, that it emphasized holiness, and that Rabbi Hillel's yoke tended to loose, that it emphasized love. Both of these yokes were and are honored today. We even see the way that these two yokes play themselves out in our own church. For us, to be a disciple means that we take up the yoke of our rabbi. Our invitation this morning is to take up the yoke of our rabbi Jesus, to live in a faithful way as Jesus did, to learn from the way that Jesus interpreted and understood and lived the scripture, to love as Jesus loved. And in so doing, we remember who we are. We remember once again that we are the created, that we are the children. We're not the sustainers of the universe. And when we have such knowledge, we find rest. Many, many years ago, there was another piece of artwork at the Rockefeller Center. This piece wasn't mentioned by Deacon Condra in his homily on this passage, but I think that this piece is relevant to our reflection this morning. This piece was called Man at the Crossroads. It was painted by a Mexican artist named Diego Rivera. The painting was eventually destroyed because people wrongly thought that it was sympathetic to a communist worldview. Rather, this painting just asked difficult questions. Rivera sought to depict humanity at the crossroads of a great cultural age. Communism and fascism were definitely threats, and they were represented in this work, but so too were capitalism. So too was democracy. The virtues of each of these worldviews were displayed, but they were colored by their inherent vulnerabilities. Even the wonders of modern science were represented alongside the dangers of what it would allow people to do. This work was a massive, huge masterpiece. It asked its viewers to consider the weight that the yoke of the modern world placed on their shoulders. This painting asked us to consider the burden that we place ourselves as we chase after these ideals, these human ideals and these institutions. This painting asked us to stand at the crossroads and to choose a lighter yoke. Thousands of years ago, 
The prophet Jeremiah likewise saw his people at a crossroads. The Israelite monarchy was failing. Internal strife abounded and the army of Babylon was on the horizon. The prophet Jeremiah called the people to consider the weight of the yoke that was offered them. Offered them by their pursuits of power and autonomy and greed. Jeremiah said to the people, this is what the Lord says to you. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask where the ancient path lies. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you'll find rest for your souls. God, God has always offered rest. God has always offered peace and abundance for those that are burdened by the world around them. For those that take on this yoke of the kingdom. Jesus takes up this same invitation as Jeremiah and offers rest for the soul. Unfortunately, though, there's a certain tragedy to this invitation. This invitation is easy to discard. Rivera's painting, Rivera's invitation to us was destroyed because of the discomfort that it caused. It held up a mirror to the world, and the world didn't like what it saw. The world gazed at man at the crossroads, and instead of taking on a lighter yoke, pursued the path that would lead to World War II and an atomic bomb and greed and injustice. And in the verse from the prophet, Jeremiah calls the people to ask for the ancient path, to ask for the yoke of wisdom and covenant with the God that liberates them. But I didn't read to you the last line of that single verse. The Lord offers rest on the ancient path, and according to the prophet, the people responded, we won't walk in it. We will not walk that path. Even in the verses surrounding Jesus' invitation that we read this morning, an invitation to take up a yoke and find rest, we find a refusal. We find people criticizing Jesus for this easy yoke. We find people that refuse to engage in the Sabbath and the verses that immediately follow this. Our passage this morning extends an invitation, but it's an invitation that is often unaccepted because of what it actually asks us to do. To take on the yoke of the rabbi means that we have to take off the yoke of this world. It's to disengage from this world that actually causes our weariness. It's to allow some things to go unfinished for a moment so that we can remember who we are and why we're here. To take on this yoke is to practice Sabbath in a world that celebrates busyness and production. I love the way that Eugene Peterson phrased this passage in his work, The Message. I'm going to read to you this, these words that Eugene offers, and I want you to hear them, and I want you to receive them as an invitation. I want you to hear them, and I want you to ask yourself which yoke you would like on your shoulders. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out even on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me 
and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. In the name of the God of ancient paths and Jesus who offers rest in the spirit of unforced rhythms of grace, amen. As we sing our closing song this morning, I hope uh, that you would receive an invitation to discipleship this week, and that is to take a nap, to rest. And if you're somebody that already naps a lot, take one more.